0: You're listening to the Domecast, where news and observer journalists take a look back and forward in North Carolina politics. Welcome to Domecast. This is Jordan Schrader, and with me are Craig Jarvis, Colin Campbell, Will Dorn, and Lynn Bonner. Uh, we'll talk about the uh, breaking news here today on the uh, health care vote in Congress, We'll talk about uh, Governor Roy Cooper's first veto and first veto override, uh, some news for state employees about their health insurance costs, and, uh, as always, HB2, and also, as always, uh, headliner of the week at the end. Um, but let's start just briefly on the, uh, the big news of the week out of D.C. Um, will, the uh, vote on the American Health Care Act has been canceled. And uh, leading up to it, we had a lot of debate, um, including something you fact-checked. Uh, yeah. And that was from Representative David Price on the Democratic side. So what did, uh, first of all, kind of uh, tell us a little bit about what uh, what happened this week leading up to the uh, the cancellation of the vote, just briefly, and then what and then what David Price had to say about it.
1: Sure, yeah, it's always hard to be brief when talking about health care yeah. <laughs> because, as, uh, as we have all learned, healthcare care is complicated. Um, more than yeah. anyone thought. <laughs> more than anyone thought, yeah. Um, but, yeah, uh, you know, there had been a lot of back and forth um, between different factions of the Republican Party on you know, what different you know, people wanted to see. Did we want to repeal Obamacare, replace Obamacare? How do we want to replace it? How do we want to repeal it? Um, and, uh, you know, in the meantime, you had, uh, Democrats talking about what would happen if we do get rid of Obamacare and, uh, and specifically if we replaced it with the, uh, AHCA as they were proposing. And what we fact checked was a claim of, uh, representative David Price, a Chapel Hill Democrat who said that, um, if the AHCA did pass, then uh, premiums in North Carolina would increase by an average of $7,500 and that the state would have the second highest health care costs in the country. Um, we ruled that half true. Um, he got the numbers right, the 7500 is right, the second highest in the country is right. Um, but he kind of exaggerated uh, in basically the way that he made his claim, who it would affect, It wouldn't affect everyone in North Carolina with health insurance. It would only affect people who bought it on the individual market, um, which right now people buying it through the individual market uh, of Obamacare is around 560-ish thousand people, uh, which is about 5% of the state's population. Uh, So uh, gave it a half true because the numbers were right, but uh, maybe the – You know the way that he was talking about the impact was a little bit exaggerated. And then, oh, go ahead. Well, I was gonna say an hour after we publish our fact check, uh, Republicans announced that we that they're uh, dropping uh, the bill entirely. So I don't I don't know if uh, you know. Right, I don't know if that's a coincidence (laughs) or not, or you know if uh, (laughs) if. Paul Ryan was just clicking refresh on plutofactcom slash North Carolina waiting for what we had to say. Um, but uh, either way, the uh, the bill is apparently now uh, dead. And the way they've been talking about this afternoon, obviously, it's still pretty fresh. But it, it looks like it's not going to get resurrected for probably quite some time.
0: So it raises an interesting question. Why would this, You know, if assuming they maybe come back with some version of this uh, Republican health care bill, why would it affect North Carolina so much uh, more than other states?
1: Yeah, and that was a question that I had. Why, you know, why are our costs already so high? And why would they continue to be even higher? Um, and basically, the answer that I heard from lots of different people is that it's because we're a very rural state. Um, and it kind of gets into just very basic free market principles. Um, in rural areas, there's, you know, not, a lot of hospitals, oftentimes there's only one hospital for a multi-county region. And so those hospitals can kind of just make insurers pay whatever they want. But in more urban areas, there are many hospitals, many hospital chains. And so there's a lot of competition. And so uh, they can't charge quite as much for insurance because their competitors will undercut them. So in Wake County, for instance, we have the state's uh, lowest uh, healthcare prices. And if you look out in the very far western parts of the state or kind of the southeastern parts of the state, um, like Robeson County, they have much, much higher, some of the highest prices in the country, actually.
0: Okay. Well, unless anybody else wants to jump in on the uh, federal action, we'll uh, uh, go to the usual uh, topic of state politics. And uh, it was eventful week we had uh, Governor Roy Cooper's first veto override uh, Craig, you covered this. Uh, the topic was partisan elections, so now that the veto has been overridden, uh, what is this bill going to do?
2: Well, it's now law. It'll take effect next January, and basically all the judges that you vote for, you'll know what party they're, uh, they belong to. Uh, we're talking about Superior Court and District Court judges. Um, some years ago, was it the mid-'90s, the Democrats... Took that, uh, took that identifier away from, off the ballots. It used to be the case <clears throat> where you could see a D or an R next to the judicial candidate's name. And um, uh, for, that was, you know, for their own benefit, they thought. Uh, but it, it also uh, was in line with the theory that you shouldn't – you should limit political influence in the judiciary anyway, so turning it into a partisan race is not serving the interests of justice. And so those uh, arguments were just flipped this time around, and uh, um, Cooper v- uh, vetoed it. It was his first uh, veto. The uh, House and the Senate took very little time to override that veto. They had uh, more than enough people to, d- to accomplish that. You know, so I think that kind of sets the stage for what's ahead. Uh, I, you may recall that uh, Governor Bev Perdue had 19 vetoes in her first two years in office, Mm -hmm. uh, which coincided with the Republican takeover of the legislature. So we've got that kind of scenario again.
0: So we could see many more of these situations. I would think
2: we'll see quite a few more.
0: Um, So is it clear why Republicans would have thought this would be an advantage to them politically to have uh, partisan affiliation on the ballots for judges?
2: I think that they historically were not electing many judges and uh, for whatever reason. I mean, a number of judges have have been in office in in many parts of the state who you really don't know if they're Democrats or Republicans. They've just, you know, they've done a good job. People reelect them. Uh, So, uh, but some of those people are Democrats. The Republicans are just looking for any advantage they can uh, as the way the political system works. And so they thought that that, you know, that would work to their benefit. There's kind of a a trend they think that uh, if voters see every, an R next to a judge's name, that they'll uh, they'll vote for him.
0: And I guess they have some uh, a little bit of backup in that the court of appeals all went uh, Republican this year. They are they have partisan affiliation now mm-hmm. on their on the ballot, and uh, voters picked the Republicans, whereas they picked the Democrat for the Supreme Court, who didn't have a. R. D. next to his name, and now they've changed that so that will be, right. the Supreme Court will also be uh, partisan.
2: Right, they uh, had an st- interesting statistic on their side, which as far as I know is accurate, although maybe we should politifact it, uh, which was that in the last election, in the general election, there was something like 800,000 fewer voters uh, in the, in the uh, Court of Appeals race than in the presidential race, and so people skipped right over the sup- uh, Supreme Court races, uh, uh, because of that. And uh, anyway, that's, uh, that's kind of a yeah, big Yeah, I guess gap. you can
3: make the argument that people don't vote in those races because they don't know which party the candidates are, but you can also make the argument people don't vote in those races because they don't care. Uh, right. Somebody goes in and uh, lots of people probably go into the voting booth and say, I'm here to vote for Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton and I haven't researched anything else and I don't really care, so let me check this one name and go home.
2: Yeah, that's absolutely the case. People, I mean, historically judges have a hard time getting you know, rising above the fray to get yeah. there. And
3: North Carolina has really long ballots. Having right. voted in Virginia my first couple of years voting, you don't vote for nearly as many things in other states as you do here in North Carolina. Soil and water commissioner is, you know, not a elected position in a lot of places, I imagine. Yeah, I
0: right. think the claim by Representative Burr was that uh, people who jumped over the Supreme Court did end up voting for court of appeals. Some number of them did. Mm-hmm. And so that was an indication to him that some people were skipping the Supreme Court because it was nonpartisan. Mm-hmm. But, um, uh, well, uh, unless there's anything more to say about partisan elections, we can uh, talk a little bit about uh, health premiums for uh, state employees. Uh, Lynn, you wrote about how they're going up.
4: Yes, back to health care. Um, state employees' health plan covers about 650,000 state employees and retirees and teachers and uh, some of their families. Um, the, traditionally, the state employees' employee health plan it had had uh, – a basic plan that um, had no premium. That's going to change next year. Uh, it's going to go up to $25 a month. Another uh, popular plan they call the eighty-twenty 20 plan um, is going to go from a premium that's a low of $15 a month that's going up to $50 a month. Um, all uh, fairly... Uh, Substantial. Uh, well, in uh, maybe in the private sector, not uh, big increases, but for uh, state employees, where for years they uh, had a, a um, an option that was available at uh, zero premium. It's it's uh, it was a big deal, and um, some of the groups that represent it employees and teachers and retirees uh, came out and told the. Uh, governing board not to do it, that, uh, that it was the wrong approach. Um, we have a new uh, state treasurer who really pushed this hard and passed uh, some of the skepticism um, on the governing board. It passed uh, narrowly, five to four, um, saying that uh, this would help freeze um, some of the other costs associated with health care the uh, deductibles and copays for four years, and it would freeze the um, the premiums for uh, family coverage for four years, and and help um, uh, steady the the reserve account. Uh, there was something else they did was get rid of another plan, something called the eighty five fifteen plan, which some of the uh, some of the board members objected to. There's um, some um, uh, questioning about whether uh, Falwell's um, determination that the uh, plan is spending its reserves too quickly, whether that is really uh, as as alarming as as he has presented, and he's also promised to try to use um, the uh, the plan's leverage. Um, it's it's market leverage, in getting more savings, and there were some questions. Well, why don't we try to get the savings first before we push uh, more expenses onto the um, uh, onto the onto the plan enrollees? But as I said, he pushed this through, and uh, now we'll see uh, over the next four years what happens to what happens to costs.
0: So, what, why is it that he wants to go after uh, the family? Costs. Well,
4: there, there be- are very few uh, state employees who choose the family coverage. It's re- the premiums are really high, um, six hundred to seven hundred dollars a month. Um, the uh, The state subsidizes premiums for individual employees, but it doesn't for families, which is why uh, it's so expensive to get on. And the people who do sign up for the family coverage. Um, do so because uh, it's really kind of a last resort, and they uh, heavily use those benefits. So uh, the for families, the, the plan spends a lot more uh, on their health care than they get in premiums. So he's trying to reverse that, saying, well, you know, the way insurance works is that um, you need healthy people in the plan to pay for the sick people so um he's looking to get more families on families uh with healthy children so that um they, the the um, the cost ratios aren't as lopsided it's um it's going to be interesting to see whether that that actually happens there's some he explained uh this week that if they can freeze the premiums for families over time um the rest of the market is going to uh, is going to see an increase in those in those premiums so um, in comparison the uh, state health plan premiums will be look more realistic and be more attractive
0: okay. well and I have a feeling we're uh, going to hear about this in budget negotiations as the state employees say uh, you know give us a bigger raise because look our health care costs, costs are, are, go- going are going up, up right. uh, so we need more money. Um, so uh, the last topic before we go to headliner of the week is HB2, and uh, this week the NCAA put out a, something of an ultimatum, I guess, on uh, to North Carolina uh, that they're going to move their uh, events for six years, which they've said um, if the repeal is not done in the next uh, well, I guess several weeks, or is it really a week, Colin? Uh, Yeah, so
3: they – I mean, it sort of depends which uh, time element in their statement you want to look at. Uh, The discussions, I guess, the meetings to decide which uh, cities will will win these bids uh, starts next week, Uh, but the deadline – or the day on which they plan to announce it, I believe, is April 18th. So uh, there may be some wiggle room in there, but it clearly, within the next week to two weeks – North Carolina would have to make some major changes to h b two in order to be considered for these bids if if not uh no sports championships here through twenty twenty two okay, and how's that going? Uh, not well. Um, there's not been a whole lot of progress this week, but there's been a whole lot of talk and a whole lot of sort of incremental, uh, developments, uh, in the legislature. Uh, obviously there's for, for weeks now we've heard of there, these, these, uh, behind the scenes negotiations in the house, uh, representative Chuck McGrady, who's sort of moderate Republican has been leading the way, uh, along with, uh, the house Democrats. And the goal there was to figure out some sort of arrangement where, Most of the Democrats would be cool with voting for something, and you'd get just enough Republicans uh, to get you over the 60 votes necessary to pass in the House. That, of course, all contingent on House Speaker Tim Moore being willing to move forward a bill that didn't have at least 50 percent of his own Republican caucus uh, on board with that. And apparently – At the beginning of this week, they were actually fairly close on that. This whole uh, sticking point for the last several weeks with the governor had been this idea of a referendum, that a a local uh, government could pass some sort of non-discrimination law. uh, And if there were folks who were not happy with that, they could petition to uh, get a referendum on the ballot as to whether that law should stay or not. Uh, That was something that was put in there to help get some more Republican votes, but Democrats really didn't like it. They felt like that was a a referendum on civil rights, I think was how they put it. Uh, And so they found some sort of compromise on that where you would be able to have this referendum provision but it would go away after january 2019 so it's sort of a a way of softening that referendum so that democrats could get on board and according to darren jackson the house democratic leader uh, that was able to get him about 40 democrats on board at the beginning of this week Uh, and as of monday they had just enough republicans so there was talk that they were actually going to move the bill start a committee process uh and and see if they could make that work apparently over the course of the week Republican support, uh, according to Chuck McGrady, started to dry up for that, um, and it didn't have the votes, according to the uh, House Speaker Tim Moore, uh, by Thursday that it would have needed to move forward. So instead, uh, the Democrats are pretty much cut out of the process now as far as negotiations on how to proceed with dealing with House Bill 2. Uh, The plan now, according to House Speaker Tim Moore, is that he's working with Senate Leader Phil Berger uh, and they're talking within the Republican caucus, trying to find something that enough Republicans can agree to do, even if all the Democrats are opposed to it, that would make some changes to House Bill 2 what they hope would be enough to satisfy some of the concerns of the business community. Uh, Speaker Moore said this week that uh, apparently there are some folks in the business community he's talked to who are having uh, second thoughts about, um, and I think he referred to it as buyer's remorse, about their boycotts of, of North Carolina. Uh, he wouldn't say which companies or whether there were any of the sports leagues that were, were involved in that, um, so it's, it's unclear exactly who he's talking about. Uh, but their idea is that they want to make some tweaks to House Bill 2, uh, that could have that impact, uh, but it really is not a substantial, uh, I mean, almost hesitant to even call it a repeal of House Bill 2, because yes, yeah. technically House Bill 2 as written is taken off the books, but you still are telling uh, state agencies they can't regulate bathroom access. You're telling local governments uh, they can do a non-discrimination ordinance, but they can't expand protected classes beyond what federal law allows. So you wouldn't be able to do, for example, LGBT protections, potentially protections for veteran status in a local non-discrimination ordinance. It would almost be sort of a symbolic measure that didn't really change sort of the, the landscape for people who are trying to fight somebody on a issue of discrimination.
0: And so if that got out of the House, presumably it would just be with the Republicans. Yeah.
3: So the idea is there they you know they've they've got a supermajority of Republicans. So if they can get most of the Republicans on board, then they've got the votes to pass it even if all the Democrats vote no, which is what Darren Jackson is telling me is, is likely to happen. The Democrats do not like this uh, proposal. They feel like it's it's pretty much just extending House Bill 2 and, and sort of throwing a new name on it.
0: Um, Would they be able to override a veto if Governor that's Cooper That's the question
3: um, because up until now there have been uh, a, a sizable number of Republicans, both in the House and the Senate, who are from very rural, very conservative districts. They're happy with House Bill 2. Uh, they don't see any reason to change it at all. And even though uh, this has this conscience protection provision that's been referred to by some people as RIFRA or RIFRA Light. Um, that would allow you to sue the government for infringing on your constitutional rights, which uh, some people are concerned would uh, allow, for example, businesses to discriminate uh, against people on the the basis of uh, religious belief. Um, It's it's unclear whether that would get some of these conservative Republicans to sign on board to this, because it uh, they'd have to still go back to their constituents, and and some of them may say, well, why did you repeal House Bill 2? This was a a great law for for privacy and safety, would be the argument. Um, And and so I think you may lose some of those people – Uh, So if that happens, then what you end up with is a bill that may pass the House and Senate by a narrow majority, gets vetoed by Governor Roy Cooper, and then doesn't go anywhere from there because they might not have the votes to override. But then politically, they would then be able to say, hey, we tried, but Roy Cooper is not willing to go along and we really think you should blame him for the fact that we still don't have sports, that we still have House Bill 2.
2: But politically, that's not going to help anybody, really. I mean, it's, they're, 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 they're trying to put a spin on it like we tried, but really it just seems like they're trying to compromise an uncompromisable dilemma right now. They're trying to add on all these things that will help conservative Republicans, which every one of them is, is a no-go with the Democrats. And the fundamental issue is the bathroom access and local discrimination ordinances. And that's what's caused all the all the rain of uh, agony on North Carolina. Yeah. You
3: know, it kind of reminds me a lot of what's going on in Washington with the the health care bill that uh, the Republicans were trying to make some changes that would get the the far right of the Freedom Caucus on board by the. By doing that, they were starting to lose some moderates, and they didn't just couldn't get the number of vote, votes to do anything, which is why you saw the news here on Friday. It's kind of the same thing in the legislature. There's just not a scenario, not yeah. a version of this bill that can get the right magic number of people and still do enough of a change to House Bill Two that you would, you know, satisfy the NCAA, for example.
2: Yeah. There's just all this uh, uh, the flapping of wings and crowing, and then all of a sudden they look around and they realize they haven't done anything that they didn't have six months ago, really. So. I don't see a lot. Once again, I don't see a path out of here. And apparently, Duke losing in South Carolina
0: was not a big enough uh, breakthrough. That's for, what they say. Yeah, I don't know that
3: there are that many Duke fans in the legislature. Yes. I'm, I can't think of I – mean, I'm sure there's somebody there who graduated from Duke, but it's uh, – a. It's a very Carolina State, ECU-heavy fan base there.
0: Yeah, Barry Saunders did write a column this this week that said that if Carolina had lost in South Carolina, they'd be rushing to I, Yeah, play. I do think
3: that would have had more of an impact, um, and I, I've, I've seen a lot of different takes on whether uh, having to play in South Carolina had an impact on uh, Duke losing. I'm, I'm kind of in, inclined to believe, as a uh, UNC graduate, the fact that they played right after UNC played. Uh, perhaps they had some f- uh, fans in the audience who were cheering for UNC and and therefore we're just there to cheer against Duke all right well
0: if that's it I think we'll uh, take a break and we'll come back with headliner of the week stay with us
4: today my new dad threw a barbecue I burnt everything
1: Ah! and then we played catch I broke Mr. Lewis's window
4: Who is your headliner of the week? Who is your
0: headliner of the week? Who is your headliner of the week? Head, headliner of the week. Welcome back to Domecast. It is time for headliner of the week where we talk about the most important or influential or interesting person in this week's news.
2: Uh, Craig, why don't you start? Who's your headliner of the week? Susie Hamilton, former state legislator, legislator who is now the governor's uh, pick to run the Department of Cultural and Natural Resources, or Natural and Cultural Resources, I always forget which. Uh, She is the fifth of the eight cabinet choices that are working their way through the Senate confirmation process. She is the first one who has run into a little bit of of turbulence and didn't get a unanimous vote. Uh, She went before an Environment uh, Natural Resources Committee in the Senate, and they had some issues with her mainly because she uh, hardly had taken office at all back in January or February and uh, fired the head of the um, museum, the Tryon Palace Museum in a uh, uh, historic place in New Bern. And that generated a, a bunch of uh, some local angst that I can't begin to explain. But uh, it generated a lot of phone calls and emails and gave some uh, senators the cold feet, and they uh, grilled her about that. Uh, so it was an 11-3 vote to, to pass her on, but she did succeed. Uh, they didn't get to Mike uh, Woodard's question to her, which was, "Who is your favorite North Carolina musician?" So um, that was ruled uh, uh, irrelevant to the to the criteria of the of the. Uh, Process anyway. So Susie Hamil- Hamilton is my pick.
0: What was the? Uh, what were the? There were, were there other objections, or was that pretty much? Uh, well,
2: there was there was the uh, Tryon Palace thing. There was she's had some business interests, and of course, whenever you move from the private sector to uh, public service, you're opening yourself up to potential conflicts. And uh, the ethics commission kind of flagged. They didn't find any conflicts, but they said she should be careful. She she owns a consulting company. Has been big in development and construction in Wilmington, and was. Uh, involved in downtown revitalization, I think working for the city of Wilmington. Uh, they just wanted to find out if what, what some of these entities that she's been connected to. She also has a realtor license, so they want to you know what potential conflicts are out there, and they were, there was just some uh, grilling about to, to, to sort that out. Okay.
0: All right. Well, former Representative Susie Hamilton, now the uh, Secretary of Natural and Cultural Resources uh, in the hat for headliner of the week. Colin, who's your headliner?
3: Well, speaking of uh, politicians and musical taste, uh, my headliner this week is somebody who's not normally talked about uh, in North Carolina political circles, at least not officially, and that's Beyonce, who is the subject of a very lengthy uh, Greensboro News and Record article this week uh, asking a a variety of elected officials from the uh, Greensboro City Council on up to uh, U.S. Senators and the governor uh, about whether they like Beyonce and what their favorite Beyonce song is. And there were some interesting responses to this. Uh, Governor Roy Cooper responded. He said, quote, I don't listen to much Beyonce, but my daughters love her and he chose uh, the song "Run the World uh, because with three experience, he knows from three uh, daughters he knows from experience. Uh, we also, they also heard from, uh, state rep, John Hardister, who's the house, uh, majority whip and a Republican from Greensboro, uh, who says that crazy in love is his favorite song, uh, because of the collaboration with Jay-Z. Uh, and as a side note, when someone gets personal in politics, Mr. Hardister apparently likes to reference, uh, the line, hater's going to hate from Taylor Swift, which he, in- he included in his, uh, response to this, uh, questionnaire. Uh, Josh Stein, the attorney general, was upset that he was not included in this survey, uh, so tweeted his, uh, response to the reporter who had written it after it was published and uh, saying he likes Beyonce uh, as he is human in the world and his favorite song is single ladies.
1: You never want the attorney general mad at you, so yeah, it's a good thing she included him.
3: Yeah, so he was—he was apparently added to the story after it was initially published to to make sure that we all know of uh, Josh Stein's Beyoncé fandom. <laughs> yeah, I think he made a reference to putting a ring on it on Twitter. Uh, so, uh, yeah,
0: <laughs> an unusual headliner of the week. Although we did have Charles Barkley last week, I think wasn't it? Yeah. So uh, you know, celebrity <laughs> been- <laughs> month here at Domecast. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Yes. So, Beyoncé, along with Representative Susie Hamilton, former Representative Susie Hamilton, in the hat for Headliner of the Week. Will, top that.
1: Well, I don't know if my nominee was on the Beyoncé list. I haven't actually had a chance to read it myself yet. Um, So correct me if he was on there and we're leaving him off, but I'm going with uh, Mark
3: Meadows. Uh, not familiar. Yeah, I don't think he was on the list. I don't know if he was asked or if he was uh, a little too busy to respond because of what you're about to tell us. Right. He has been a little bit busy. Um, Mark Meadows,
1: he's a U.S. representative from the very far western parts of the state, west of Asheville. And um, I'm not even sure if he was necessarily a household name around North Carolina two weeks ago. And now he's a household name nationally. He's the head of the House Freedom Caucus, which is the group of about two or three dozen of the most uh, conservative members of the House of Representatives, and uh, he is basically the one who stopped uh, the Obamacare repeal from going through. Uh, he thought that the, the Republican plan was too much like Obamacare. Uh, I think he called it Obamacare light or something like that, and um, he uh, even had a, kind of a, a stare down with uh, Trump at one point. Trump kind of threatening to, you know, back a primary challenger to him in 2018 and then later saying, "Oh no, I was just joking about that." But um you know, he he kind of rocketed to national prominence with uh you know, this uh very, you know, conservatively principled stand on, you know, not not going for the Obamacare repeal because it wasn't a a, a full repeal as he said. So and they Mark made some Stevens.
0: concessions to uh, to satisfy his group. And, and, they did. And, they
1: made some concessions, made some cuts, um, but uh, he kind of stuck with his guns and was able to uh, convince everybody else in that House Freedom Caucus to, uh, you know, indicate that they wouldn't be voting for it either. Obviously, you know, it never even made it to a vote, so we don't know how, how his people would have gone, but, uh, you know, Clearly, the Republican leadership believed in uh, his ability to, uh, to control a, a pretty decent amount of votes in the House. So on on this and on a lot of things going forward, I think we'll continue seeing his name pop up. Okay, pretty good for somebody starting their third term in Congress. Uh, Mark Meadows,
0: in the, Representative Mark Meadows, in the hat for Headliner of the Week, along with Susie Hamilton and Beyonce. Len, who's your Headliner of the Week?
4: Well, like Mark Meadows, I'm not sure if there's any connection between my nominee and Beyonce, but I'm going to go with Dale Falwell, uh, the state treasurer, who's taken a real hands-on approach to uh, managing uh, the state of the health plan. Uh, he's in his first term, and um, in, uh, you know, what is it, two, three months after having been s- sworn in, has uh, made some historic changes to the plan um, getting uh, premiums increased, and making some big promises on uh, controlling future spending. So I'm going to go with uh, Falwell for my headliner.
0: Okay. The new Treasurer, Republican Dale Falwell, replacing a Democrat and saying he's going to shake things up there at the Treasurer's office. Uh, So we have Dale Falwell in the hat, along with uh, Susie Hamilton, Beyonce, and Mark Meadows. Uh, And uh, I'm sure we'll get tweeted at about uh passing over beyonce but i think i have to go with mark meadows this week because he's been uh he's the new uh, beyonce uh, yeah <laughs> 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 he's often been called that uh <laughs> and uh i mean meadows is somebody who uh, like you said will it n- was not well known even around the state uh, and now is uh, somebody who is able to uh, you know, take, be basically a broker down there. Uh, so uh, Representative Mark Meadows is this week's headliner of the week. And that's it for Domecast. On behalf of Lynn Bonner, Will Doran, Colin Campbell, and Craig Jarvis, I'm Jordan Schrader. Thanks a lot for listening. Catch us next week.